This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to MK1 Podcast, the podcast of myself, Ross and Joe took everything Milton Keynes dons. Well, Ross, we only spoke about uh, four or five hours ago, but how has Sunday been treating you since then? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, good. And uh, Joe, I imagine you've been pretty busy as usual on a Sunday, but uh, how has Sunday been? Yeah, I've, I've been at work for a few hours, but, you know, I, it looks like I didn't miss much on the Premier League football, so I'm not, I'm not too bothered. Yeah, uh, we were we were recording during the Spurs game, and luckily, uh, triple captain on Kane and FPL, so he's done okay so far. And yeah, the Chelsea game is a right snooze fest, to be honest, as it usually is with Man United in those big games this season. Um, but what certainly wasn't a snooze fest was uh, the Milton Keynes game against Oxford um, this weekend. Just been, but before we get into that, um, I'm just gonna abstract a little two minute clip from our uh, Shrewsbury review, which is going to be relevant to what we're talking about now. So. I'll let you listen to that and be back in a second. Well, where do we start? We capitulated from minute one, I felt. Um, and in, especially in the middle of the park, we got overrun. Um, and if you want my honest opinion, I, I felt we were quite frankly poor. And um, we just failed to match um, Salop's intensity and it paid dividends throughout the game. Yeah, I was speaking to um, Salah Kass after the game, who, if you didn't know, we're on the opposition overview from the previous episode, previewing this game. And um, he called it trigger-pressing, and <laughs> it worked to a T. Uh, Northampton did something very similar in terms of them just sitting off, and then once we got to a certain area of pitch, just, just swarming our player. And it forced the stakes, and of course, they went out to a 3-0 lead in the first, what, 15, 20 minutes, uh, something ridiculous, and the game was over. I think what frustrated me the most was the first goal we conceded. Um, obviously, Gladwin gives the ball away, what, 30, 35 yards uh, behind their goal. Uh, then goes to tackle the man, misses him completely. Then you've got the pair of Sermon O'Reilly. O'Reilly just decides to jog next to, um, I believe it was uh, Chapman. 
and just gives him a little tap on the shoulder. So like, go on, mate, carry on. Sermon just decides, okay, well, he's kind of waiting for Riley to do something. Um, and of course he doesn't. And the ball comes in and then Gladwin um, comes racing back into the box. Uh, ball goes completely past him and then uh, Goss has an easy tap in. For me... But Goss also had time to take it out of the sky, control it and then tap it in. You missed, you missed uh, that Of bit. course, yeah. Of course, yeah. So it's actually even worse. Um yeah, that goal just really, really frustrated me and I'm still a bit annoyed about it now. Um, I just felt that summarised the whole game in terms of, uh, you know, Salaf actually wanting to win the game and wanting to be the team on the front foot and Don's just didn't team up for it. As, as Russ said in his presser, they lacked uh, the right intensity, they lacked aggression. Um, maybe it is due to minutes, like you said. Okay, so you listen to that and uh, we'll dive into our Oxford review now. Uh, first of all, I asked for your guys' thoughts on the game just to see what you were thinking because I know some people were a bit annoyed about how the goal we did concede was conceded and things like that. Uh, on the whole, uh, people thought it was a pretty fair result and I have to agree, to be honest. Uh, Ryan Ray, uh, Joe Chapman, Paul Stevens, uh, Chris Sturrup, but just a few of the names that kind of agreed with that notion and felt, you know, it was a definite improvement on the previous two performances. And a few people mentioned, you know, Dale Freeman and um, Mark in particular were a bit annoyed about the goal we conceded, but I'm sure as we'll get into, I felt we would have been very fortunate to get the three points from that game. And I felt personally we were due to have a, um, have that type of thing go against us. Of course, Northampton, we were pretty lucky to win the game. Shrewsbury, we got humbly beaten. And then, yeah, Oxford, I think we had it coming essentially. But I'll pass it over to you, Joe, first of all. Uh, how did you feel uh, Saturday went um, from MK on perspective? I think there's plenty of positives to take from the game. I think it was, you know, one thing we were looking for was reaction. And I think we certainly got that. I thought we, first half especially, I was really, really happy with how we played. Um, I think that one thing that for me just made, just, 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 I just really liked was just the intensity and how quick we were we were going forward and not and it wasn't as if we were playing long balls or anything but it was more just you know you had people making runs you had people making space you had people being clever and unselfish and it just really got us up the pitch really quickly and we got into some quite dangerous areas um i thought um i, I, I just and then, and then towards the end you know it was yeah it, they're a really good team and we mentioned they probably got some of the most exciting attacking players in the league so when you maybe are trying to manage the game. You know, maybe that's something we can do, could or should have done a little bit better. Um, but they, you know, they they've got the quality, and it, I guess it's just a bit annoying that the goal that they actually scored it wasn't from any quality really. It was just a sort of just just a, a long looping ball in that just wasn't cleared properly or, or claimed by the goalkeeper. Um, but overall, you know, I, I have to say that I think one all is a fair result. And if you probably offered me that for I think it might have been my predicted result, actually. Um, I believe it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, you know, and I think as well, just it, it kind of stops, the, not not a rot as such, but it just, you know, it's it's uh, after a couple of average, well, one average performance and one really below par performance, I think it just, it kind of brings everyone's levels back up. And um, overall, yeah, fairly happy, just gutted in, in the manner of the, um, in the manner of the result. Yeah, just to double check, you did think it was red card fishy, didn't you? On that challenge on Aji, you know, the, yeah, I, uh, I did. Yeah. 
because uh, he, he didn't get the ball and I thought, you know, whether there's a man covering or not, he wasn't going that wide and, you know, he's left-footed, so he it was on his stronger foot and it, he had like 20 yards between him and the goal and there was no other players really around. So, yeah, I, I, I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe that it wasn't a red card, to be honest. Yeah, I was dreading the worst when that referee blew the whistle. I was like, oh, God, here we go. Uh, but, well, for some um, for whatever reason, he didn't send him off, and thankfully he didn't because uh, it would have had a big implication not only for that game, but of course the games uh, after that, which Fitch is such a vital player for. And yeah, I said I was very pleased with the reaction as you kind of mentioned, Joe. Of course, actually probably heard um, uh, our view of the Shrewsbury game was that we were poor and we were really upset about us being that poor, um, and luckily we reacted to that. And I'll pass it over to you, Ross. Now. Uh, what were your sort of general thoughts on uh, Saturday against Oxford? And also, did you think it was a red card or did you think uh, the right correct decision was given? I'll start with the red card because it's quite controversial. I didn't think it was a red card. Okay. Um, he was actually going away from goal and you can tell that. And Harry Darling was uh, coming into shot. Um, so as for Joe saying that there was no one in actual in picture, Harry Darling was there and possibly could have, made a challenge essential. And that, I think that's what made the ref say it was yellow because of he saw other players come into the, into the pitch, uh, in the picture, sorry. So going, if you're summarising on the whole, a player going away from goal, it's not a red card offence in my eyes, but I can see why it's given as a red also. So it's, I believe it's 50-50 and just how you look at it really. But yeah, on my take, I didn't think it was a red card. But going back into the game, I felt we met, matched one of the one of the better sides in League One in Oxford uh, for 90 minutes. Going forward, we looked really good. Um, but once we went 1-0 up, we didn't really get into their box enough and we didn't threat go th- have that threat in the final third. But as for our goal, um, we had a bit of luck. Led tried to beat his man and he had the bravery to try. And we had a lucky deflection to Sermon and he he perfectly timed that finish into the bottom corner. And it just shows his class, really, doesn't it? It's just back-to-back um, goals for him now. And after that goal, I felt we rode our luck. Oxford had numerous chances where Fishers denied them or just went close on the post. And I felt, yeah, I agree with Joe. We, um, we, we I, don't, I don't feel we deserve three points. And if you offered me at the start of the game, I would have happily took one point after, obviously, Shrewsbury. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely the reaction we wanted. And at the, end, at the end of the day, I feel like it's certainly the performance we wanted also. Yeah, that goal for Sirs, I felt a pretty fortunate one, to be fair. You know, I think any other game, Charlie Brown gets given offside for, like, disrupting the keeper's line of view, maybe. Because... He was right in the way of where Serge is striking the ball, and I think maybe Serge knew what he was doing. But yeah, I mean, I felt in general we were just fortunate and to even get the point. Um, but yeah, it was as you can't take away from performance. It's a good performance. Uh, just a shame we couldn't see it out. Um, whether we deserve to or not, it's still disappointing. I found it interesting how Russ was more frustrated to concede the nine-seven minute goal against Oxford than he was the whole of the Shrewsbury game or, or maybe publicly what he said anyway. I felt we played a lot better against Oxford than we against Shrewsbury and obviously our views were that 
we were more frustrated with that performance. And Joe, can you kind of see where the gap is coming from in terms of, you know, can concede and write the death maybe angers him more than just being overall having that bad 20 minutes spell against Shrewsbury and just throwing the game away? Yeah, I think we're sometimes, you're not, we're not truly going to know what Russ thinks because a lot of his job is actually being a sort of politician and measuring what he says to the players, the fans, you know, and because he, he, he can't just come out and, and slag all the players off in the media every week because they're going to just not want to play for him. But at the same time, uh, he can't just say that everything's nice and rosy when it isn't. Um, I, th- I think it's more because the game was in our hands, if you want. And we've been, I think that was the first game where we've actually scored first and not, not won the game. Um, so it, it's, it's something that we have been good at this season. So that's maybe why it does hurt a bit more. Um, and, you know, whether or not it was deserved, it's just, it's just one of them where it's going to be very raw at the end of the game. And with the Shrewsbury one, by sort of the, you know, we, we did, obviously, you know, we were losing, but we did kind of grow back into it in terms of how we were playing, but the damage was already done by that point. Yeah, um, it's just a bit, bit annoying, I suppose, for all, all involved. And uh, yeah, l- looking forward to, um, well, not bouncing back, but continuing the good performances and hopefully the three points uh, away to Gillingham midweek, which we'll preview later on. Um, but let's dive into individual performances from Saturday, first of all. Uh, I want to start off Ethan Laird. Uh, man of the match on the day. Um, thought he was terrific. I mean, if you look at if you look at some stats for him, you know, 17 ground jewels, uh, 12 aerial jewels, which is actually really unusual for him. Usually he's not a player that likes to get up there, but he did on Saturday. I uh, won seven of each and he was really unlucky not to get a goal contribution, I felt, on Saturday. Um, and yeah, I was really impressed how he got off the wing, uh, gave Ruffles, the left wing back for Oxford or left back for Oxford, some real trouble. And he somehow got in a team of the week for uh, for the League One, a team of the week, I'm not sure how that happened. Um, but yeah, very impressive him. Seems to be growing uh, game on game, which is a common theme and some of the youngsters in the squad. And Ross, I'm sure you agree with him getting another man of the match award is uh, definitely warranted. 100%. I just felt like, um, I know we're quite reliant on Fraser and that. It's just a different outlook when we go forward. Um, I know I've I've criticised Laird in the past about his defensive uh, responsibilities, but um, he's reassured me on that note and that front. Um, I've, it's, as you say, we, we've all said it's about yin and yang on both the sides, and I just feel like... Um, down at left, letting us down now. And Harvey looked all right in the first half. And then when Jules came on, I felt he looked a bit flat, if you ask me. And um, he didn't have as much joy what Harvey did. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't take um, discredit away from Laird's performance because of um, at the end of the day, he got, I, I don't believe he didn't get uh, failed to beat his man once. He just, he was breezing past him each time. And yeah, fair play to the bloke. He's he's improving each each game as it goes on, and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, Ruffles might not might as well have not been there. Laird just literally said this free pass every single time. Just getting balls into the box, and yeah, it was really unfortunate not to uh, get another assist to his name uh, whilst he was here. Uh, Joe, I'm sure you thought Ethan was excellent as well, but I let you elaborate on that sort of comments from myself and Ross and. How do you think Ethan did on the day? 
Yeah, well, I mean, unlike some people, I've always thought he's been excellent. And <laughs> I think with Ethan Laird, the, the, the difference with Ethan Laird and I think anyone in this team is the fact that he can do something out of absolutely nothing. And I think we saw that against, you know, Shrewsbury when he just dribbled through about four players in, in like a couple of seconds. And then all of a sudden he's slotting the ball f- through for a tap in for Will Grigg. And I don't think anyone else in our team is capable of that. Just the burst of pace and the acceleration. It's, it is, it's quite scary at times. And, you know, he's actually deceived. You, you mentioned about the aerial duels, but he's actually deceivingly good in the air. He's he's won seventy percent of his aerial duels at an average of three and a half a game. So, you know, I think he's getting used to the physical side in terms of you know we maybe saw him getting a getting the odd shoulder barge here and there, and he'd go flying. But I think he's he, he's he's um, sort of uh, warm into that that side of the game. Um, but you know, I think one thing we mentioned with Ethan led is just the fact that his his um, recovery pace is so important so that you know he can bomb forward yes but actually he can um, it, 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 he's, he's able to get back as well which is something maybe we didn't have, have with Regan Paul um, and I, I think on the left side I think Harvey played well and I just think it's it's a shame because it looked like he limped off um, in the end so yeah just that is a shame um, I, 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 maybe I have to wonder what's maybe gone on with Matty because we haven't even seen him, you know, maybe even on the right side or or, or on the left. It appears that Jules and um, and Harvey are both above him in the pecking order for some reason. Um, so I mean that that's just an interesting one. So maybe we might see Matty if if Harvey's out, maybe Matty might get a chance in midweek or something. But um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, plenty of options, and I think you know no one's no one's taken Laird out of this team now. Yeah, I mean, first of all, well, with Ethan Laird, of course, is that he said this precedent after the game that he's this is the way he wants to play football, and he seems really happy here, which is obviously really good to hear. And by the way he's playing, he's clearly showing that on the pitch and really progressing well. But I think for me with Saranola, obviously, I wanted him to start on Saturday. I felt he well, not maybe not he didn't deserve the chance, but I felt he should have got some minutes for sure and. We thought we kind of discussed this about if is he possibly the backup to Laird now? Because say if Matty is on the right wing, there's a good chance that it's going to be one of uh, Harvey or say for example Abain Gladwin on the left wing back, and it's a yin and yang again. It's the more defensive Matty, so I know that right wing back, and then the more attacking, well on paper attacking, uh, Ben Gladwin or Zach Jules or whoever may be playing left wing back. Uh, who seems to be the, that seems to be the preferred side of attacking the play and getting players like Fraser and O'Reilly involved. So maybe that's why we don't see Matty too much. Maybe it's because he's being converted into a right wing back. Maybe for next season, who knows? Uh, and I'm sure we'll bring another player in uh, once Ethan Laird returns to Manchester United. But that could be an interesting situation to monitor. Uh, and yeah, Matty will come in. I'm sure we'll come back into the team eventually. Is I don't think it'll be left wing back anymore. I think uh, the weekend kind of set alarm bells on that sort of situation. I wanted to touch on uh, the strikers to start of the game. Uh, Charlie Brown, Joe Mason. Of course, it kind of surprised us all. Well, maybe not Joe regarding Charlie Brown, but certainly Jerome being dropped uh, or being rested, I should say, sorry, for uh, Mason. And I felt both were really good, uh, especially Mason. Um, their intensity and their pressing drove the team forward a lot um, and they create chances themselves, of course. And of course, they didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get a goal, but 
their intensity, charging down the Oxford line and doing the counter-pressing that Oxford were doing. Uh, I mean, at times it could have won us the game and it probably should have. Um, and of course, they came off in the end for Jerome and Grigg, who very much did the same thing. So those those four uh, collective of players seem to be really buying into uh, the sort of pressing style, Ross, and it's nice to see and it's nice to see we've got options up front now. Oh, yeah. I think um, just looking at the squad at the weekend when the lineups came out and having Cameron Jerome and Will Grigg on the bench for a start, it's just a, it just blows your mind. Well, it did with me. Um, just shows you the depth of options we've actually got up top now. And Russ has got a massive headache because of if Mason and Charlie Brown are performing, um, Will Grigg and Cameron Jerome have got their work cut out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to actually have that sort of a uh, problem because I know uh, when some players have hit form in high school, they get injured. So, yeah, as I say, it's just nice to see it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Joe, I know you're a big fan of uh, Mason, so I'm sure one of the, one of these positions will be quickly answered. But for the Jills game on the Tuesday night, if you had to pick out of two of these players to start um, out of the four strikers, of course, uh, who would you go with and why? I'd go with Mason and Jerome. I think one thing with Joe Mason, and it it was pretty apparent in the Northampton game and the uh, Shrewsbury game, is you know when when we actually get the ball to the strikers, you know I think with Will Grigg and Cameron Jerome, I think they're lethal in the box, and I think they're more lethal than Joe Mason in terms of in the box. But in terms of build up, I think Joe Mason's probably the best striker we've got at the club, and I think it was more you could see it when we didn't have him in the team. Because all of a sudden against Oxford, who are probably, you know, a better, well, Oxford are a better team than Shrewsbury and are a better team than Northampton. Yet we probably looked our most dangerous and we looked to be having the most intent when it was actually Joe Mason who was holding the ball up, link in play. And, you know, on the face of it, if you just look at Joe Mason's stats, it's just, it's not that impressive. But what I think he does do really well is he's always available. He's always making movements. He's unselfish. But then a lot of the time he can make find his way on the end of things. And we had 10 shots um, on Saturday. Uh, Mason actually set three of them up himself. And he was, he was you know, he, and uh, just looking at his like touch map as well, he, he was he had a touch pretty much in every corner of, of, of the pitch. You know, he was absolutely everywhere. I think, um, I think Jerome's best when he's running in behind or coming into the box late. I think that's where he's at his best. And the same with Greg. Greg's a great poacher. But I think we saw it against Shrewsbury and Northampton. I just don't think he holds it up that amazingly. And um, and Brown, Brown, I thought Brown was pretty good. You know, it's his first ever senior start in in English football. And I think what what one thing maybe some people don't realise is how different it is coming into a game that's you know a frantic game already, and um, you know and just running around making an impact than it is to actually start in a game and, you know, working out the opposition and and it's a bit more of a slog. So, but, you know, positive signs for sure and some great options there. But Mason and Jerome for me on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I like that combination, definitely. A lot of experience there, a lot of grit. And I think in a game where we're probably going to need to roughen up that dual defence a bit, just the way they play. Um, yeah, that pairing sounds pretty good to me. And yeah, with Chas Brown, like... All he had to do really was run, but he didn't need to do much else. It was just a case of putting pressure on the uh, the Oxford defence to try and get up the field again so we can get out of the ball. 
and apart from that, I mean, you can't really ask so much more from him. He's obviously still learning the system a fair bit and yeah, good performance. And uh, he'll certainly get more chances like that if he continues that type of progression and form on for sure. I suppose we'll round off um, our thoughts on the Oxford game um, based off listener thought, actually. And uh, of course, we had the return of Scott Fraser into the midfield after missing him against Shrewsbury. And um, at Don's MK46 sort of talks about how he was mesmerised by how Fraser keeps hold of the ball. And that's an interesting topic, actually, because we often talk about how, you know, uh, Scotty Fraser is so good going forward and creating chances, but maybe we don't touch upon enough how much of a box-to-box player he actually is and how, how when he came in on Saturday, how good he was at doing the dirty work and you know, driving the team forward. And Ross, I'm sure from watching the game on Saturday, you saw this yourself and that only adds to Fraser's portfolio as a player, surely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when he signed from Burton, it was all this attacking highlight reel and all this. And I feel like right now he's a, a more complete of a player. And that can only give, um, put him in good stead going into the future, and especially trying to us trying to keep hold of him um, going into the summer window. I just believe, like with Gladwin, and this is no discredit to him. I believe he doesn't do the dirty work as much as what Fraser does. I believe Glad Gladwin's, yeah, he can, he can, he's got that individual quality, and he can get get absolutely anything, or. What's the word? Um, trying to trying to think of pull um, quality out of the bag as such, or goal out of the bag. Out the hat. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I just feel like he doesn't. Yeah, as I say, he doesn't do that defensive work, and but Fraser does, and also Fraser can do that attacking in the final third as well. So I feel Fraser's a bit more of a glue in the system as such, more than Fra- uh, Gladwin and other options in the system. Yeah, that and that glue, uh, Joe, was seven, had 17 growl jewels on Saturday, won eight of them. So he wasn't afraid to get stuck in, was he, on this return back from injury? And even if he was being uh, managed, he played the majority of the game and really showed why he's one of the best of fielders in this league. Yeah, and I think as well, with almost similar to Mason, you kind of notice him more when he's not there rather than what he does do when he is there. Because... Yeah, like Ross said, we see all these, we heard about all these sparkling assists and his late bursts into the box. But what we didn't hear about is, you know, the thing is as well, it's not as if he always just beats 10 players and dribbles through. And a lot of the time he might end up going backwards. But I think the most important thing he does do is he keeps the ball. So he might not necessarily be beating five defenders and then slotting someone in. But what he does do is he he draws players to him him, because he's so dangerous. And then he offloads the ball quickly and then all of a sudden you know we've got plenty of space and I think one thing that was quite evident was you know a lot of uh, I think you know a, a lot of us sort of we were a bit critical of Sermon on on um, uh, Tuesday night but uh, just looking back now it's almost as if Gladwin had Gladwin himself almost exposed Sermon rather than Sermon having a bad game himself if that makes sense um and, and I think that, you know, just look, you said there that Scott Fraser had 17 ground, 17 jewels contested. Well, yeah. Gladwin had five on Tuesday. So I think that just shows you this sort of, you know, I think the main word, which we, which was the main thing that was missing from Tuesday was intensity. And I think with Fraser, that's one thing guaranteed. And I think when he's intense, it means that 
players like Sermon and O'Reilly, they've got their, the freedom to to do their thing and rotate the play and and play out with confidence. And so, yeah, I, I think that's that's you know Mason and Fraser. I think yeah, two massive players. And it's not a, I think you know saying Fraser is a massive player. It's not nothing that's sort of revolutionary. But mm. I think maybe we real maybe we didn't realise what bits he actually does do fantastically well for this team. Yeah, we were complaining about the Hobbitfield really on Tuesday, also the previous Tuesday. Um, but maybe, especially with Matt O'Reilly for that first goal, but he completed the whole uh, one ground duel against Oxford. So maybe it's just because he wasn't used to that type of style of football. Um, but yeah, it's good to have Fraser back. And obviously he changed the game a lot and uh, he made a, well, it should have been a three-point performance that really positive and it just shows why he's so important to his team, quite frankly. He makes other players better. Of course, yeah, definitely. And uh, that's evident from Saturday. Okay, so that kind of rhymes up our uh, Oxford review. Um, before we move to mine and Ross's conversation with Matt from Jill's and Blood uh, YouTube channel, uh, Joe, let's get a quick score prediction from yourself uh, for the Gillian game on Tuesday night. How do you see the game going? Well, I think it's going to be... We we don't tend to travel down well to Gillingham. Oh, I remember uh, an awful day where, um, well, it was, I think it was the 23rd of December last year. Oh, yeah, um, I was there, yeah. Yeah, that was, it was absolutely teaming down. And we had them, it, I don't even, it was like carrier bag ponchos on. Poncho, I see. Uh, yeah, so one to tell the grandkids for sure. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm not sure what their pitch is like, but I think, you know, we, we know what we're going to get with the Steve Evans, Gillingham side. They're going to be physical. They're going to be horrible to play against. And I think as long as we don't end up playing their game and end up lumping it and end up getting into a fight or a battle with them, you know, I think we've got the individual quality to see us through. Um, so I'm going to go 2-1. I don't, because I think that they, they have big threats and I think Jordan Graham's a, a fantastic player. Um, so I think we'll edge it 2-1. Okay, nice, like it. Okay, that's it for part one. We'll be back shortly for part two. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back and welcome back to the latest opposition overview. Um, we've got a handful of guests to come on and preview the next games. And we've got the absolute pleasure of welcoming on uh, Matt from the Jills and Blood YouTube channel to give us a lowdown on Gillingham. So, Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, mate. Appreciate the invite. Looking forward to the game Tuesday. A little bit more optimistic now after a, a good point at Fratton Park yesterday. Got the uh, got, Gets out of the system that defeat on Tuesday to, uh, to your best mates up the road. <laughs> Yeah, we had a pretty uh, poor performance on Tuesday ourselves against Shrewsbury and we got a decent point against Oxford, which should have been free, uh, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, two teams coming off um, some pretty decent performances, to say the least. And uh, obviously, it's been a while since we played each other in October. Obviously, two of them winning for the Dons on that day. Um, been a long time uh, since we both played each other. So give us a sort of brief rundown of how Gillingham have got on since then. Well, after that 2-0 defeat, uh, we didn't score a goal for a month. I think that was the first wow. game in a run of five without scoring a goal. We lost a lot. We played some good teams in that run. Don't get me wrong, I think it was Portsmouth, Ipswich, Sunderland, Fleetwood at the time were playing all right before they slumped down the table. But yeah, we just couldn't buy a goal. And obviously, if you don't score goals, you don't win football matches, unfortunately. But after that, 
I think we've played 21 since. We've won nine, drawn four and lost eight. So I think our points per game is about one and a half, which would have us around sort of anywhere between eighth and 11th the last five seasons in League One, if you based it over a whole season. We're currently 15th. Consistently inconsistent. I've said it to plenty of people that I've spoken to this season, but we're only four points off the top 10, which is where we finished last year on the on the points per game ratio after all the, the COVID stuff shut it down early. So we're not a million miles away and I don't think we're having a disaster of a season, all things considered. I mean, there's so many sort of extenuating circumstances this season. No crowds, salary cap came in, then it's gone again. And know, it's just been a weird one, hasn't it? We just mentioned before we come on air about it's great doing these types of interviews and previews, but it'd be so much nicer to be able to, to meet up with people and chat before games, before we go to our opposite ends of the stadium, so to speak, and cheer on our own teams. But we're doing okay. We've got a young squad. But yeah, consistently inconsistent probably summed us up for most of the campaign. Yeah, so this podcast was born off the pandemic, essentially. And uh, us, well, me, Ross and Joe, have, we kind of started doing this in August. And uh, yeah, we haven't done a podcast in person yet, so... It'll be a really nice day where we can just go down to the pub or something, just get our mics and start just talking. Um, but yeah, you mentioned about uh, Jill's being consistently inconsistent. What's kind of your thoughts on the main sort of reasons behind that inconsistency? Has it been injuries? Has it just been the climate or is there other elements to it? Uh, I think the climate's played a small part. That's not the only thing. Injuries that you've just said there. Yeah, we've lost. I mean, start of the season, Stuart O'Keefe, probably one of our best players last season, was our vice-captain. He broke his leg in a League Cup tie. He's back early, which is great, um, he's, but he's still getting up to speed. But yeah, to lose a player in the middle of the park who, who does all the ugly side of the game really well was, was obviously a big blow. And then we had to go with inexperienced players like Scott Robertson and, and Josh Eccles, who we had on loan from, from Celtic and Coventry, respectively. They've both since gone back to their parent clubs. Um, but yeah, we lost Carl Dempsey, who was our captain this year. He, he damaged his foot in the first league game against Hull. So we lost him for a month. Jordan Graham missed a month in the winter. Um, Dominic Samuel tore hamstring in, in, in December. Then his surgery was delayed because of COVID, unfortunately. So it just seems that whatever you talk about, it all comes back to COVID eventually, which is a real shame. And it sort of gives not a false reading of what's going on because it's the same for every club up and down the country, but it's certainly frustrating when it's happening to you and you sort of tend to forget what's happening to other teams. But lack of centre-back partner for Jack Tucker as well. Jack Tucker burst on the scene last season, was really good, played pretty much all his games alongside Max Amar, who was the captain. He decided to move on in the summer and I think up until January when we bought in Robbie Cundy on loan from Bristol City. I think Jack's had five centre-back partners, so you, you can't build relationships. There's no continuity. Um, Conor Ogilvy kept shuffling from, from left-back to centre-back and back and forth again. But since January, since the loan reshuffle, we look a lot more consistent in terms of our selection. We look better in terms of performance. We're still conceding too many soft goals, but at least it's given us the base to work with because people are building up them sort of relationships where you know that this fella's playing at right back next to me and this fella's the other side of me at centre-back. And I think, yeah, there's been plenty of sort of reasons why. Um, but it was one of the things I mentioned in the summer. I was happy with our recruitment, but I said we needed an experienced centre-back to come in and replace Max Amar. We'd never done it. And I think it hindered us for most of, certainly the first half of the season. And it's probably a reason why the playoffs will essentially be beyond us. Yeah, you mentioned about um, the related to relationships, things like that. And it, and for us, this Don side, it's taken months and months to do that. 
Um, you know, we've seen players get in and out of the squad and it's taken us really till December to get a team together that actually knows how to play the system and knows how to play each other. And it's it takes a while. And I think fans don't appreciate that sometimes and they get frustrated from results, don't go their way. But it's all a part of, as Russ Martin likes to call it, the process. And uh, yeah, I think eventually you'll see results come and it may be towards the end of the season. But uh, once players start to come back, etc., it will uh, definitely happen for sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but yeah, but in terms of, I think, in terms of the top six, it's it's probably too late, like you said. And we'll, if we can match last season's tenth, which I don't think is completely inconceivable. I know there's teams in and around us that have played games, less games than us because of you know COVID um, postponements and that type of thing. But we've shown in recent weeks that. We can compete with any side in this division on our day. We've gone to Charlton and won. We've gone to Portsmouth and drawn. We've gone to Sunderland and drawn. And that's all in the last sort of three weeks. Um, we beat a very good crew side 4-1 a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, 4-1. And they were sort of on the verge of the playoffs at the time. We went to Accrington who were right in and around it and 1-1-0 and kept a clean sheet. It just seems that we flipped it on what we used to do, which was... We're now struggling again to beat the teams in and around us. We've, we've drawn at home to Rochdale after battering them away. We've, we've lost at home to Burton. That was before Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy Floyd's first game in. So we've not really sort of had any impact. Um, they might have got manager bounce, which we talk about, but it's still a poor result when you're trying to push on and get into the top half of the table. And Northampton away was shocking just after Christmas. Doncaster just before Christmas, I think we had 20% of the ball and, I'm not one that beats the drum about possession. It doesn't win your football matches at the end of the day. But at the same time, you can't expect to, to create enough chances and have enough ball to win football matches if you're only having one-fifth of it. So for all the good performances, we then chuck in an absolute shocker, which is why where we are, and that's sort of in and around mid-table at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about the lack of possession, and I think that was one of the key themes from the game earlier in the season between us two, in the fact that, you know, the Dons kind of just dominated the ball and... Gilliam didn't really do much about that. Um, and we've seen a lot of teams recently against us try and do a bit more about that. You know, Northampton and Oxford uh, really incorporated this uh, trigger pressing, as a uh, salop cast like to call it. Um, and it worked well against us. So I suppose, do you think that have the Jills learned anything from that first meeting? And do you reckon they'll incorporate anything new to that game than they did in October? Um Yes and no. Obviously, the first thing you can't do is you can't give good players too much time on the ball. I've just watched the highlights back before coming on and talking to you guys and both your goals. As nice as the football is that you play, we stand off and stand off and stand off and give you you guys enough time to boil a kettle, drink a cup of tea before you know going through on goal and scoring. And to be fair, Cameron Jerome's been a lot better than I thought we'd be at this level. I thought there was a case to think that maybe it was someone's kind of last payday, but credit to him, he's been superb and I think it was Carlton Morris that scored your other goal. That done. know he's moved on now to the championship yeah. and he's doing all right. Um, Scott Fraser was a good pickup for you boys. I, I thought he'd probably go championship as well. So that was a really good signing. And I think, yeah, we'll have to be better. Whether we'll, you know, completely change our game plan, I'm not sure. But we've certainly been better when we've pressed high up the pitch. Like I say, I go back to the crew game, another side that likes to play and likes to keep the ball. We stopped them from playing out from the back and eventually they tried it and twice we nicked it and scored. Um, and I think we're going to have to probably employ a similar type of thing. I was just looking at because I know you're going to ask me about team lineups in a minute, but it's going to be weird for us because I'm not sure how we're going to play because I know you line up in a 3-5-2. So do we take the chance and go with two wide men high up the pitch and try and get in behind your wing backs? 
or do we stick with the diamond just to give ourselves more solidity in the middle of the park? But then it probably means dropping out one of Ollie Lee or a striker and then playing Jordan Graham slightly out of position. So it'd be an interesting one. But we'll certainly have to get tighter to you lot and stop you trying to play through us and, and, and allowing players to get in the little pockets of space in between the lines. And then if we can do that and we can have enough of the ball, obviously we'll play a different way to you. I think that's that's quite well broadcast on social media. The Portsmouth commentary team certainly kept alluding to it yesterday, <laughs> which I found quite amusing because I looked at half-time and they'd attempted more long balls than us. And they, they'd done it 2% less successfully than us as well, which I found quite a laugh. But, you know... We are a direct side. We know that Dominic Samuel's injured, so our two strikers are pretty much the same. John Akindi and Dane Oliver, they like to win the first ball. We can play it into their head, their chest, and they'll bring it in. And then we can try and get Ollie Lee, Jordan Graham, Carl Dempsey running in behind and play from there high up the pitch. We're never going to be a team that gets it down and plays 30, 40 passes and taps it in the bottom corner. That's just not how Steve Evans' sides are set up. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting battle and certainly a good watch in the sense that it'd be intriguing on, on what type of football comes out on top ultimately after 90 minutes. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned about a directness and uh, for as a player, it's really benefited off that is the the king of the aerial duels, uh, Vadine Oliver. I know, Ross, you wanted to touch on uh, Vadine, so I'll let you talk about him a bit. Yeah, um, first of all, um, I hope you're doing well, Matt. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, uh, I've touched on Vadine Oliver. Um, I've looked at his uh, stats and he's played 29 this season and scored six and assisted five. But one thing which really standed out was he's missed seven big chances. And I was wondering whether the clinicality um, was a problem um, going forward and whether it would be something we can exploit um, going to Tuesday's game. Potentially, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big one for... for... What is a clinical chance? That's the thing. It, we all have different opinions on it. It's the same with XG, isn't it? And and stuff like that. I don't sort of tend to delve too much into it. I like to watch games. Goals and assists, that's factual. You can say, yeah, he's, you know, he's 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 contributed that directly, and that's that's there in black and white. But but what is a what is a big chance? A one-on-one or you know, a free header or he certainly could have scored a few more, don't get me wrong. Yesterday, he should score. He's, he's, he scored the goal to get us level just before the break. And then second half, he's had a free header. He does well to get in between the centre-backs and, and he misses the target, unfortunately. Um, but then talking about being clinical, if you go back to Bristol Rovers away, middle of December, two chances, two goals. So he is clinical in that sense. We'd all love our players to score more goals. Of course we would. But I think what Verdana offer is as it's already been mentioned, he, you know, he's good in the air and he does a lot of stuff similarly to like probably Emil Heskey used to do and why he played so many times for England. He was never going to score loads of goals for his country, but he allowed the likes of Michael Owen to go and score lots of goals. So in that sense, he's still contributing. And I think I've got him down as, I think he scored nine now and he's got seven assists. So it's 16 direct goal contributions in all competitions this season, which I don't think is bad for a free transfer. He only scored eight in all competitions last season at the level below. So I think he's doing a really good job. Of course, we're all greedy as supporters and want him to score more. And we'd love it if he could go and get 20 in a season. But like I've said plenty of times, 20 goal a season strike, because you either strike gold like we did with Tom Eves a couple of seasons ago, or you have to go and spend big bucks on them. And Gillingham are not going to go and spend big bucks on players at the moment to get like a, a Johnson, Clark, Harris or an Ivan Tony. Peterborough always seems to be the example of signing someone for a million or so and then selling them off for a big profit because that's the way they run and they do it really well. But 
John Akindi's probably the same, and he's come out and admitted that he, he, he should score more, and he's he's had a decent chance, not a decent chance, he's had a really good chance at the end. Trouble is, he's only been on the pitch 10 minutes or so, and he, he's one-on-one. -on -one. He does the hard bit and shakes off the defender, but it's one of them. He tries to go through the keeper's legs and the keeper saves it, so then you say, well, it's a good save, but John should score because he's one-on-one. -on -one. But if he tries to go round him and then overruns it, you'll probably say, well, he should try and slot it under the keeper. So he's not in a, a no-win situation unless he scores the goal. I just think if John had started yesterday, he'd have probably been a bit more up to speed and he'd have likely tucked it away because he's been in decent nick over the last couple of months. But yeah, to, sorry, to answer your question, we'd, I think we'd all love our players to, to be more clinical than they are because we all want a little bit more and we all want to get a bit higher in the table and we all want to be a bit more successful than we're currently being. So, But they both bring a lot of good stuff to the table as well. Yeah, I mean, you, if you were Steve Evans, who would you start on Tuesday night, Akinde or uh, Oliver? I'm not sure because this is where I go back to this thing. Because you play a back three, which not a lot of teams do in this division, it's going to be slightly different for us because predominantly you come up against sides that play 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 or a, a variation, but it's essentially the same type of thing. So it's going to be interesting, like I say. So we could go... We could stick with a diamond. We could drop Ollie Lee, who's not been great the last couple of weeks. You could move Jordan Graham into the 10 and you could play for Dane Oliver and John Akindi to then try and counter the fact that you've got three centre-backs. And then we go aerial and we get balls out wide and we get them into the box and allow them to compete with your central defenders. Or we could play one of Dane Oliver or John Akindi, leave Ollie Lee in and play Jordan Graham up top. And then you've got two different types of strikers. You've got the one that's going to go and win the flick-ons and you've got one who's naturally quick and a bit tricky. You can get in behind. And Jordan Graham played that way against Crew, and we won 4-1, so it works. Or do we go 4-2-3-1 and then you try and get two wide attackers out high, up high on the sides and then if your wing-backs are pushing on, we've then got space in behind to exploit if we break and turn possession over. So it's, it'd be an interesting one. Then you have to chuck in the fact that, that Stuart O'Keefe's only just come back from injury. Can he start twice in four days? Um, will we have to rotate because we're playing Saturday, Tuesday all the time at the moment, more so than ever because of you know the condensed nature of the season? So I'd be I don't know, in all honesty. I'd be inclined <laughs> to I'm inclined to go with the diamond to keep us more solid defensively, like we were yesterday. But at the same time, if 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 you do push on. Jordan Graham's going to naturally drift out to a side anyway. And then he's going to have absolutely acres to run into if, if they're caught the wrong side of the ball. So it would be interesting. The other way we can do it is you play someone like Alex McDonald, one of Vikindi and Oliver and Jordan Graham. And then you can fluctuate between the two without having to make a change. Because if we go with a diamond, you could go O'Keefe, Dempsey, McDonald and Lee with the two up top and then you could move McDonald and Graham to the sides. Dempsey goes next to O'Keefe and Lee in the 10 and then you wouldn't even have to make a substitution. So I think there's there's a couple of big calls for Steve Evans to make and, and thankfully that's why he's paid to make them and I just sit here and talk to other people about it for free. <laughs> Definitely. It sounds, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of, like, quite a conundrum to say, sorry, on his mind. Um, one player I will touch on before we move into some predictions and I'll talk to Ross about his predicted on start 11 is um, a player you mentioned at the start of the episode in Kyle Dempsey, of course, uh, in League One, played 21 games this season, uh, six goals, three assists. I've got down on my notes. Uh, he seems to be a pretty crucial player for you, a Mr. Consistent. So uh, how has he been since he got back from his injury? 
he's been absolutely superb. Like, I can't say it enough. I can't understand why Joe Barton let him go on a free. I really can't. I know uh, Nappers, who, who's a big Fleetwood vlogger on, on social media and Twitter, was, was raving about Callum Camps at the start of the season. I actually put Callum Camps in a video of potential targets for Jules in the summer. And mm-hmm. I think he's a very good player. And he started like an absolute express train up at, at, at Highbury, didn't he? I think, I think he scored 10 in his first 13 or 14. But I yeah, wouldn't block yeah. Carl Dempsey for anyone in the middle of the park. He's, he does the ugly side of the game really well. He's willing to trap back and work hard out of possession. He's got two good feet. He certainly knows where the back of the net is. And if he's anywhere sort of 20 yards out and he gets half a yard, chances are he's going to hit the target. He very nearly nicked it for us yesterday on his weaker foot, clipped the outside of the post for about 10 minutes left. Um, and yeah, fair play on your research. You've got it at six and three from 21 in the league. I've got it at six and four from 29 in all competitions. So yeah, that sounds about right. So He's looking at if he plays, you know, the rest of the league games, he's, he's a chance he's going to get to double figures. And I think if you can find a double figures goal scoring midfielder at this level, then you're doing really well. And yeah, if you stop him playing, then you, you, you do well to stop us playing as well. If we don't completely bypass the midfield. Yeah, yeah. Get it in there yeah. Before opposition get it in there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're pretty fortunate to have, as you mentioned, uh, Scott Fraser, who is one off double digits in terms of goal score this season. So we definitely know the importance of having that player in the middle of the park. Uh, and yeah, very lucky to have them both for sure. Um, okay, so we're going to pick start 11s. Uh, Matt, I'm not sure as much point in asking you about your pick start 11 because you kind of gave us a brief breakdown of it anyway in terms of where Steve Evans could go and what sort of plays he could play so I'll go straight to Don's perspective and I'll head over to you Ross Uh, what's your predicted start 11 looking like for the Don's uh, heading to Chile on Tuesday night Well, first of all I just want to say um, what the performance was the reaction we obviously wanted I don't feel like there should be much change going into this but um, I've gone with Fisher in goal um, and then I've gone with the same back three in Ohora Darling and Louis and then um, I've gone with Laird out on the right and then um, there was rumours of Harvey going off limping off at half time so I've gone with Jules just keep things fresh and then um, I've gone with Sermon only because of he came off at 60 minute mark and um, I still think helps is, um, a few more games or a few more starts as such from 90 minutes so I've gone with Sermon in the middle and I've gone with the typical duo of O'Reilly and Fraser above them. And then up top, it's it's so hard to choose at the moment because we've got so many options. But um, overall, I went with Mason because he had a really good game. He was part of the build-up. He played. He was part of everything going forward. And then I've gone with Jerome because of Jerome's Jerome at the end of the day. And I feel like he's one player who's undroppable at the moment. And I believe if he gets one chance, he'll pull it in the back of the net like uh, Matt saw against Jill's in the home leg. Uh, yeah, I I pretty much agree with you, apart from one player. Um, so same goalkeeper, same back three, or same back five, actually, say, sorry. Uh, I've got my Houghton over Sermon. Um, There's just so much conversation about Sermon's minutes recently. I think he's, what, he's played three times in a week. Someone has to be rested in that midfield. Uh, and I think it'll be Houghton. I think he deserves a chance in that spot, in the pivot. And it's going to be another game by the looks of it who dominated by the midfield. So having maybe a fresh race in there could change things up. But yeah, you mentioned about the attackers. It's, it's always a tough choice, um, but I do agree with you, Mason and Jerome. Uh, I, I was saying, um, well, on Matt's YouTube channel, which should be out the same day as this, so check that out if you want. Um, but 
I feel Mason Jerome give us the right experience and the right grit for this game. Obviously, Cami is had hundreds, hundreds of games above this level, and Mason, as you mentioned, Ross the pressing was really good yesterday. And I feel that combination could work well in this game. And then having the likes of uh, Grigg and Brown off the bench could change the dynamic if we needed to. Okay, so we'll finish off with our predictions. And then as we didn't get around to speaking to Matt about his future start in 11s, we'll let him start with his prediction in terms of the score result for this game. Uh, so, Matt, how do you think Tuesday night's going to go for Jill's perspective? Um, I'm confident if, if we turn up like we did at Fratton Park, like we did at the Valley, like we did at the Stadium of Light, like we did at home to, to crew. And if we, first of all, give you enough respect and, and understand that you're a good side that gets it down and then works hard enough without the ball to, to nick possession back, I think I think I'm confident we'll get something. Um, so I'm going to go for, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet, so I'm going to go for some revenge for the October meeting and I'm going to say Jules and Nick it 2-1. Nice, yeah. I have a strange feeling of these type of games because I've done some research on it and whenever, whenever the the team wins the previous meetings, so obviously the Milwaukee's won that 2-0, they go into the next game and not really get a good result. And that it's just a weird sort of conundrum that happens. And I'm not a particular fan of going to Jill's anyway, uh, not because of the away day, just because in general, whenever we go to Gillingham, it seems to be quite a tough game. And maybe that's the, the conditions that we play there, who knows? But I've gone with a 1 1. Um, I feel any away point is a good point, quite frankly. And especially going to Gillingham, the team that we know is going to get under our skin and try and um, sort of not harm us, but try and interrupt how we play our football. Um, it's always a threat and we've seen over the past sort of two or three weeks how teams have done that and got results off us basically and it kind of ends off a fixture list for us where we've played some form teams in the league and uh, yeah I think uh, a point in Gillingham's not a bad result at all. Uh, Ross what's your thinking in terms of score result for Tuesday night? Yeah, well, First of all going against any Steve Evans side it's going to be tough as we've mentioned because he's direct and I do feel like um Gilliam, especially away from home, a bit of a bogey team for us. Uh, we always struggle when we go there. Um, and I do believe that there, there, there's goals in it, but I don't feel like it's going to be um, any team cruising to victory. Um, but I feel like with, obviously, our performance, we've had a bit of a reaction um, after Shrewsbury and Jill's have had a bit, bit of a reaction. Um, I, I hope we get a inconsistent Jill side as such. And um, I've gone with a 2-1 uh, Don's victory only because of um, the last five out of six meetings between Jill's and Don's, there's been over 2.5 goals. So there, there will be goals in it. So, I've yeah, I've edged MK with the away victory. Interesting. So we've got a, a range of predictions then. So uh, one of us fans to be right for sure. Yeah. However, it's uh, <laughs> obviously Jill's winning the draw and or Don's winner. Well, yeah, thank you very much, Matt, for uh, coming on the podcast and chatting to us about Jules. Um, no, if you want to, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, uh, if you want to plug anything like the YouTube channel, hint, hint, uh, feel free. Yeah, please. Yeah, if, if you can, then obviously, yeah, um, we're on Jules in the Blood TV on YouTube, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Um, please keep liking, subscribing, and uh, 
on the road to, to 1,600 to be the next target, I'm thought, uh, I'd imagine. It's um, it's taken a while to get to 1,500 because of the COVID pandemic and it slowed everything down. But I appreciate all the support that everyone gives it. I, I really enjoy these types of chats with different fans from different teams and having a proper conversation. And, and like I said at the beginning of the piece, if... Uh, we can sooner rather than later meet up and do it outside a stadium or in a pub before a game. It'll be a lot, lot better. Yeah, 100%. And congratulations on the milestone on the subscribers. Uh, definitely one of the, well, in my opinion, better EFL content creators out there, especially for the lower league stuff. So, uh, yeah, well done on that. And um, you. obviously you got your preview, review of the game on the weekend and the preview of this game coming out uh, Monday afternoon, I believe. Yeah, um, Monday. I'll get it out Monday morning. I'm recording it today. Okay. It's out Monday morning because obviously all these Tuesday games you have to get it out as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why we're recording on Sunday afternoon. Um, and yeah, um, obviously I've done a little preview for the Don's perspective on that. So make sure you check that out, and of course get the reaction of Matt from the weekend and his thoughts on uh, Tuesday night. So thank you very much for listening to episode 36 of the MQ1 podcast. It'd be excellent as always if you could rate, review and subscribe. And as always, come on you dons. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.